A binge-worthy show about Jesus? The Chosen Season 3 is here. Come and see what the buzz is about. The Chosen explores the imperfect and messy relationships of real humans following Jesus. The first six episodes are available now. Stream each new episode for free. Plus, watch exclusive content like The After Show, only in the new Chosen app. Download The Chosen app on mobile and TV streaming devices. Visit BingeJesus.com to learn more. Montgomery County, Maryland is where businesses go to be next. Home to a highly skilled, diverse workforce, a thriving business community, competitive incentives, and more. MoCo will help transform your business. Visit BeNext.ThinkMoCo.com to see how we can help you be next. Welcome to the Fantrax Toolshed, a podcast covering all aspects of fantasy baseball to help you win all of your fantasy leagues. From dynasty to prospects to redraft, we got you covered. Now, here are your hosts, Eric Cross and Chris Clay. All right, fantasy baseball fanatics around the world, welcome to the Toolshed. This is episode 74 of the Fantrax Toolshed with Clayton Cross, powered by Fantrax and FantraxHQ.com. I'm your host, Eric Cross. We will be continuing our Dynasty and Prospect Rankings episodes with the first base position today. And with me, as usual, my 80-grade co-host, Mr. Chris Clay. Chris, how was your Christmas, bud? It was good. I spent time with family. First Christmas with a kid so that was fun you know he enjoyed eating wrapping paper and and (laughs) tissue paper out of bags so that was fun probably enjoyed that more than his toys but i'm sure yeah it was cool it it was fun to have that feeling that christmas feeling back that hadn't had since i was a kid so you get to do that a little more with when you have kids and see their joy from it so yeah certainly a good day hope hope your christmas went well as well it did it was it was pretty low-key which is uh surprising well because given all the places I usually have to go to, you know, my mom's, my dad's, you know, grandparents, aunts, uncles, et cetera. But uh, yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was good. Uh, but yeah, low key. I love that phase of the put everything in your mouth phase uh, with the babies, which well, obviously that could have, have its downfalls because you want to put in the wrong things in their mouth. <laughs> right. Funny, they're just like, Oh, eat everything. How does, how does this taste? So, yeah. Uh, I saw that picture you posted above uh, <laughs> Hayden eating the, the tissue yep. paper. So I'm like, yep. I remember that phase with my kids. He eats um, everything, so he <laughs> finds the littlest specks of grass like the dogs bring in from outside, and he like picks those up and eats. I don't know how he finds them. Literally, finds everything. It's ridiculous. Helps that he's lower to the ground, so he can That's see true. those things that like you know us us taller us adults can't see. Yeah, uh, he'll he'll pick it all up. But yeah, uh, yeah. This is our second was it second to last episode of 2021. We got one more. Yeah. On Thursday, that'll come out our second base dynasty and prospect rankings, but and then we'll get into 2022. So, finishing up the year strong. Uh, we have a really fun episode today, but before we get into that, the usual housekeeping. You can find us on Twitter. Chris is at Roto Clegg. I'm at Aircross04, and our show is at Fantrax Toolshed. If you enjoy our podcast, please rate and review. Check out our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Fantrax Toolshed. For extra content from both of us, including something Chris just put out, his uh, he's working on his Dynasty Points rankings. That's a fun little thing to go check out there. And, of course, check out all the other great written and audio work we have on the Fantrax HQ network, including our other podcasts, SB Streamer, 
fantasy hockey life, fantasy football addicts, define fantasy football and fantasy football POV. And fantasy football is coming to an end here. I think everyone's in their championship weeks this week. So baseball will be in full swing. I know it already has been for us. I've now gotten into a few drafts here, a couple best balls and some uh, NFBC DC. So fully in draft season already here in late December. It's a lot of fun. And so and this episode is going to be a lot of fun as well, as I mentioned. So let's get right into it with our first base dynasty rankings here. Let's start with our personal top tens. Chris, who's your top 10 at this position? All right. You want to go 10 to one? Uh, I don't think I don't. That's just if you want to. Okay. Well, we'll go 10 to one. How about that? All right. Number 10. Got Alex Kirilov. Number nine. I've got Tristan Casas. Eight. Max Muncy. Seven. Chris Bryant. Six. Andrew Vaughn in the top five of Spencer Torkelson, Pete Alonzo, Freddie Freeman, Matt Olson, and Vlad Guerrero Jr. So you can tell that I still like these young guys above a lot of the actual vets that are playing in the MLB. They're in the top four here. So hoping a lot of these prospects break through soon. But yeah, who is your top 10? Yeah, I, I hope so because it's getting kind of meh. This is not as great as it used to be. Uh, definitely a lot of question mark, more questions than answers. And there are some good young players and some good prospects, but even at the prospect level, it's not, it's not great. Like I think catcher might've even been more intriguing than first base yeah. when, it, when it comes to a, from a prospect perspective. So, uh, but for me, I have Max Muncy at 10. So hard to figure out where to rank him right now. We'll talk about him in a little bit. Alex Karoloff at nine, Chris Bryant at eight, Jose Abreu seven, Paul Goldschmidt six, Spencer Torkelson five, Pete Alonzo four, Matt Olson three, Freddie Freeman, two, and of course, Vladimir, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. at number one. He's, I think that top, I think the top three is probably pretty universal at this point in both, yeah. you know, one, two, and three. So uh, I think no surprises there. Uh, let's start with talking some about the, you know, the older guys that we have in this range here. Uh, those being Freddie Freeman, Paul Goldschmidt, and Jose Abreu. Uh, all those guys are in their 30s now. So it's kind of, yeah, I start to wonder. I don't think any of them are about to fall off a cliff production wise or anything like that. But you got to wonder, Chris, how much longer can we expect these guys to kind of perform at the level they're currently at? Yeah, certainly interesting conversation. And it's worth discussing from a dynasty standpoint because these are all viable players that have probably been on winning teams over the last several years. But when you look at all of them and you, you just have to wonder, like, when does father time catch up to them? And I think that's the the million dollar question that we all that all wish that we could answer there is if we could answer these questions, we could sell at the right time, obviously, and be able to more appropriately get the right value. Because any of these guys are prone to fall off. I mean, Joey Votto coming off a stellar, stellar year last year, which was kind of out of the blue, but at the same time, he's 38 years old. So right. could he just fall right off again? Yeah, it's highly possible because he had slumped and he wasn't the same player, but then what well, he had 26 or sorry, 36 home runs last year. And he just looked like the old Joey Votto again, minus like hitting 320, but still had a highly productive year. For sure. Like there's no question there. I'm right there with you. And you know, unless you're like, if you know, like, all right, you're definitely going to be a contender top two or three team. I probably hold on to him there, but if you're like kind of has like, well, what, maybe I'll be mid-pack. Okay, don't you don't need them. Obviously, for re- rebuilding, you don't need them. So unless you're going to be a team that is definitely in championship contention in your dynasty league, Fado is a, definitely a good trade chip for you to get rid of. And yeah, as for the other three, Freeman, Goldie, and Abreu, you know, Goldie and Abreu a little bit older, but 
Yeah, I think Freeman is going to be one of those guys that ages gracefully. I really do. Like, you see, he's a really good frame. Like, I don't think he's – there's no, like, weight issues. Freddie Freeman, he's still very, very strong, very athletic. I, I don't see him falling off anytime soon, even as he gets into his uh, mid-30s here in a couple of years. So, I think in terms of him being, like, a top 25 or top 30 guy, I think we still got a couple more years of that. You know, obviously, the contact skills, the power, it's all still there. Doesn't obviously doesn't rely on speed as part of his profile. So uh, even though he can chip in a little bit, but even if he goes down to like zero or only one or two steals, then goes above the average, the four category, you know, greatness to to keep him up at that range. So I still think he'll be like number two, number three at this position for the next handful of years. And then maybe he starts trickling down into that range where Goldie and Abreu are now in that kind of second tier or maybe third tier if you want to put Vladdy in his own tier. But into that kind of tier of like, uh, he'll be like a top 50 to 80 guy for the next handful of years. Then he'll start falling off even more as he, as he gets to his late thirties. But he's not one where I'd be looking to sell anytime soon. So I don't, I don't, don't think he's going to have, uh, you know, a, a decline in the near future. Goldie and Abreu. You know, I think we've already started to see a little bit of each of their declines. Goldie had that nice bounce back last year. Abreu has just been super consistent Had the one down year, but uh, he's really just been super consistent, you know, 280, 30 type of guy, give or take. So I think we still got a few more years of Goldie and, and Abreu as being, you know, top 100 guys before they start falling off. Um, but yeah, Votto's the one. Yeah, you can definitely, if you're not contending, it's a good time to sell on him. Um, but moving on here to Max Muncy, Chris, what what the heck are we doing with Max <laughs> Muncy right now? Like with the the elbow injury that's still kind of up in the air. When's he going to be back? Is he going to be right for opening day? Will he miss a sizable chunk of time? He's one where, you know, obviously it's ranking season here for terms of redraft and dynasty. He was just, he was easily at this position. Obviously, and he plays multiple positions, but for first baseman, he was the hardest one for me to rank both in my redraft rankings, which are out today, by the way. Go, go check out those out at fantraxhq.com, but also here in dynasty, where he was kind of in this kind of big range by himself. Kirilov was near him, but there was a big drop between him and then like the Bellinger. You know those types of guys. So I still have him in the same spot within this position as I had him. You know before the injury concerns popped up, but he has dropped a good 20, 25 spots overall. But it's so hard because we don't know like how significant this injury is going to be, how long is it going to keep him out. So where, how are you kind of dealing with uh, Muncy right now in your rankings? Um, yeah, it's tough. Redraft is obviously a little tougher than than Dynasty because you know redraft focuses on just the immediate future. So. You know, I mean, typically hitters do come back a lot quicker from this. It's not like he has to come out and pitch, so he doesn't have to worry about it. His arm as much, but still, it, it if he has a torn UCL, like that's a pretty big deal. And it was like he just kind of sprung that upon everybody when he kind of said that in an interview about how yeah, he was, was covering. Like, like nonchalantly disrupted, like, oh yeah, by the way, I have a torn UCL. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the injury looked bad when it happened, but he just. We didn't know, and then he just pops it on everybody. So, who knows? Like, we don't know his time frame. I mean, the the last report I've seen is that he's healing quote slowly. It's a, a slow progress. So obviously, he doesn't plan to have surgery on it. Like, so he's going to try to play through it, and he definitely can. Like, if he just plays first base only, then you know, I don't. He's not going to be throwing it too much. So it's possible that he could play through it, but I don't know the effects of that on a hitter. Like. I still feel like that you, you kind of need a UCL to hit and swing a bat, right? Right. It seems pretty important. So, <laughs> he, I mean, he's going the rest and rehab route. We'll kind of see how that goes. I, I just really 
don't know when to expect him back. And so for redraft, it's super hard to rank. So from a dynasty standpoint, it's kind of a wait and see. I don't think you're going to get the appropriate value if you do try to trade him just because people are concerned. Unless you find an owner that's not concerned. In that case, you definitely flip him. He's coming off a 36 home run season, had a near 370 OBP. He's not going to post high averages, but still hit you know near 250. I, I don't know. Kind of just holding in and seeing where this goes, honestly. Yeah, you kind of have to. Um, and and it, it sucks because this is a guy that, you know, he had a, a really down 2020 well, in terms of the batting average, still had some solid power there. But look at his last three full seasons, 2018, 2019, 2021, whereas very similar seasons overall, 30, 35, 35, 36 home runs. I had over 90 RBI each of the last two years, over nine, over 95 runs each of the last two full years. You mentioned like the average is always like around 250, give or take, but really strong OBPs thanks to his higher walk rate. So, yeah, this has been kind of sneakily. Is that a word? Sneakily? <laughs> if it's we'll, not, we'll count it. if it's not, I'm making it a word. Uh, <laughs> probably isn't, but uh, he's been really sneaky good over the last handful of years and pretty underrated too. I think he definitely deserves more love than he has. But yeah, right now it's you kind of got to hold and wait and see. If you can get a good return for him now, I won't be opposed to trading him. Um, someone's not quite as worried about the elbow, but you know, it's, you just got to kind of hold him. If you, if you can't get any good offers, I'd definitely hold. I want so low on him because he might be fine. Uh, we might be overplaying this, overblowing this, I just say, but, um, yes, the talent's still there and he's only going to be 31 next season. It's not, he's like 34, 35 or anything like that. Uh, he just turned 31 end of August. So he'll be 31 for most of next season. So still young enough to have a you know a handful of more really productive years. And the Dodgers, they don't need to rush him either. Like with all the options they have to play first or second, I they don't really need to rush him. So I think my best guess, which is just a guess, no, I'm not a doctor, obviously, but you know, maybe we can talk with Nick Savali about this. But <laughs> my guess is maybe he misses the first month, comes back in May, just keep the case, slow play it, and let him get fully healthy. Maybe he misses the month of the season, but who knows? It's something to keep an eye on for sure uh, throughout the rest of the offseason. Getting into the next set of our rankings here. Let's go rankings 11 through 25. Who you got, Chris? All right. You know, start at 11 or 25? Start no, at 11. Go, yeah, let's go 11 now. Right. I, think, I think going 25 to 11 is kind of weird at that point. Yeah, that is <laughs> All right. Number 11, we've got Paul Goldschmidt. 12, Jake Cronenworth. 13, Jared Walsh. Jose Abreu. Ryan Mountcastle. Then 16 through 20, I have Reese Hoskins, Josh Bell, DJ LeMayhew, Trey Mancini, and Anthony Rizzo in the 20 spot. And then 21 through 25, I have Nick Prado, Nate Lowe, Ty France, Miguel Vargas, and CJ Crone rounding out the 25th spot. Man, so you have Abreu and Goldie quite a bit lower than I do. So I have Goldie 6, Abreu 7. And where, where did you have them? Uh, Goldie at 11, Abreu at 14. Why, why is that, Chris? Is it just because they're, you know, you're kind of dropping their value a bit because they're getting to the mid 30s now? Yeah, I think it's a, a age thing. And, you know, in reality, that's like a, a big tier for me at that point. Like, they're not really that low. They're, uh, let me pull up overall. Goldschmidt I have at uh, 117 overall. And then Abreu at 130 overall. So it's kind of just a tier there of these guys. So, yeah, it's just a little cluster, but I guess... Could be low, but again, like I just think that the decline could be coming. So I think that, like, the ranking kind of signifies, like, I think they're a good sell, in my opinion. Yeah, it could be. And again, kind of that similar situation. If you're not a contender, 
Uh, if your team is going through a rebuild, it might, might be a good time to sell those too. Because, yeah, well, I still think they're going to have a couple more good years. A Goldschmidt's 34 right now. Abreu, I want to say, is 35. I can't seem to find his age on my sheet. I can't, I can't find him at all on my sheet. Where did I put him? Um, is he 35, Chris? Who, Abreu? Yeah. He is. He he's about to be. He will be. Oh, there he, okay, yeah. Almost 35. So, yeah, there's still, I think yeah. still a couple more good years left than those two. But, yeah. yeah, if you're going into a rebuild and you seem like you're falling out of championship contention, have one of these two guys on your team. Yeah, I could definitely see uh, selling high there. Uh, my 11 through 25, I have Cody Bellinger, Jake Cronenworth, Andrew Vaughn, Ryan Mountcastle, Jared Walsh, Trey Mancini, DJ LeMayhew, Tristan Casas, CJ Crone, and Reese Hoskins at 20. And then Josh Bell, who I can't seem to rank correctly ever or find a good spot for him. I, I don't like Josh Bell that much, but uh, he is intriguing this year, especially if he's going to continue to hit right behind Juan Soto. Could be a lot of RBI there. Uh, then Ryan McMahon, Frankie Schwindel, Bobby Dahlbeck, and Anthony Rizzo rounding up my top 25. Rizzo was hard to rank, Chris. I think we both kind of we, – we saw where we had him, didn't like it, moved him down a little bit. But you, you see there you – know, he's another one of those guys that kind of – there's a lot of guys that are like used to be really good. Now they're like in that aging, mid-30s range. Do you, you think he can kind of bounce back and have another couple of good solid years? Um. Maybe, but the trajectory is not good at all. So that's kind uh, of a concern. He's still it's, walking a ton, but outside of that, it's like it's a very bland profile now. Yeah, it's just there's nothing special about it. And, you know, I have Dahlbeck in the next spot after Rizzo, and I don't really see why. Like, I feel like Dahlbeck should be over him, honestly. So who knows? Like, there's a lot of guys I'm just looking at. I'm like, where where do you rank him? I don't, I don't really know. I have him just barely inside the top 200, but is he closer to 250? Uh, I don't really know. It's tough. Yeah, uh, I have. I think I just him outside my top 200. I still have him in my top 250, but outside my top 200 now. But yeah, like this is this is a cluster. Like I, something I was mentioning before the show. Like there's not really a huge difference between like I don't know. I have Trey Mancini at 16 and Bobby Dahlbeck at 24. Like I don't think there's a, a big difference there. I think they could be pretty similar long term so it's just like a big cluster of players none of which like really stick out to me obviously Tristan Castis obviously is a prospect we'll get in the prospects after the break but I don't know you're a bit higher on Josh Bell than I am um I don't know I just there's a lot of guys here that I'm just not really intrigued by after really Vaughn at 13 it drops off like I'm not a huge uh Ryan Mountcastle guy he's solid but uh, I won't ever want Ryan Mountcastle as my starting first baseman Walsh is good now, but who knows how long he can keep this up. Mancini, solid, but again, not a guy I'd want as my starter. Uh, LeMay, he was obviously starting to fall off, and maybe those kind of two big years were, of him were the two best we'll see uh, moving forward. But, yeah, really interesting range of players. But let's talk about a few of them here. Uh, starting with, like, let's go start with Andrew Vaughn here because this is a guy that was a top 10 prospect for – most people are at least top 15 or so is regarded for his hit tool and his power and his polish at the plate. And then that kind of went, you know, downhill. Obviously Larusa didn't do any favors, <laughs> uh, bumping him all around, moving him to outfield. Obviously they have a Bray at first. So you kind of had to, but also playing him a little bit second and third. It was just really weird how they handled him. But the overall line was very unimpressive. 235, 309, 396. 15 home runs, 48 RBI, 56 runs scored in 127 games, 469 plate appearances. 
are you still buying Vaughn as a potential top 10 option at this uh, position, Chris? Or do you think the, uh, the long-term outlook for him is dulled a little bit? No, I'm, I'm still all in. I'm sixth in the position. I think there's a, I think if you look at the basic stat line, I think it's easy to be discouraged, but you mentioned some of the factors. I mean, he got jerked around. He, he had to learn a new position on the fly. Like he played second base, like what the heck's going on there, but he's not an outfielder not comfortable in that spot at all. And you mentioned the stat line, pretty underwhelming, but there's some good things under the hood. I mean, at 90% zone contact rate, that's 6% higher than league average. I mean, 90% zone contact is really good. 78% contact above league average as well. The swinging strike rate at 10%, that's really good. Those are things I like to see. So he kind of had some bad luck go his way, actually. He had a really high called strike percentage. And, it wasn't from the lack of swinging. I mean, his swing rate was a little below league average, but not bad overall. Wasn't chasing a ton. So, you know, under the hood, there there's some decent-looking things where I think that Vaughn's still going to be a really solid option. He's been basically completely written off. And, again, we have to remember that this is a player that did not play a game above high A before making his major league debut last year because the 2020 season was so weird. Yeah, he got reps at the alt site, but how much does that really matter? It's hard to say for sure. And again, you can even look at Vaughn's 2019 season. It wasn't great at low A and high A by any means, but he hits the ball hard. He makes good contact. I'm buying back in. I think that he's going to be solid. I think he's going to be a a great average and power hitter, and we're going to see that really blossom. Maybe Maybe not fully this year, but again, he's just 23 years old. He'll he'll be 24 at the beginning of next season. So there's still plenty of time for him to develop. And I fully believe that once he gets comfortable, he's going to be fine. Yeah, I'm. I agree with a lot of what you just said. And I kind of I'll I'll take a little bit of the middle road here, where I'm definitely still buying in. I'm still very much in on Vaughn. Uh, you mentioned that a lot of under the hood metrics here still point in his direction, like. 10.9% bail rate, 91.1 average XFELO, 115 max XFELO, which was top 6% of the league. You know, the X slug was 432, which was higher than his actual slug of 396, 47.3% hard hit rate, and still had a pretty solid approach. You know, you would think with his struggles that you'd have a, you know, the approach wasn't as good as it was, but 8.7% walk rate, which is right around league average, maybe slightly above, and then 21.5% K rate, which is slightly below league average, meaning better. So still a lot of good, you know, good metrics here that really get you excited. Uh, but at the same time, maybe he's, as you mentioned, even in the minors, he wasn't quite putting up the numbers that we kind of expected. And obviously numbers aren't everything with prospects. We know that, but maybe he's not quite as high as maybe at one point I thought he was like a 290, 30 guy. Maybe he's more like 275, 25. So still obviously pretty good, but I think he's more, maybe going to be a back-end top 10 guy at this position as opposed to a guy that I thought could be a top five position uh, at this position. And he still could be top five. I'm not ruling that out, but uh, but he's going to have to get to 290-30 or better if he wants to get top five at this position. As, he, as we know, he brings zero speed to the table. He's you know only had one steal. He's not going to be a guy that brings any speed. So needs needs to have, you know really produce in those other four categories. Um, so I, I still think he can, but maybe not quite as high in him as I used to be, but still definitely 100% buying back in. 
uh, as a buy low. If you can get them for 80 cents on the dollar in your dynasty leagues, I would highly recommend doing so. Let's move on here to another youngster that had, actually he's not really a youngster anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of get thrown because he was a quote unquote, like rookie last year, or did he still have rookie eligibility or, I think he did. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he exhausted it last year. Regardless, it was his first full season here. uh, 2021. He only had uh, 15 plate appearances with Casey back in 2019, but Frankie Schwindel, Frank, the tank, Frankie fix, whatever you want to call him here. (laughs) A lot of good names with Frank Schwindel. And let's look at his, um, his profile picture. It's just like, he looks like a really goofy dude. Like this looks like a dude you want to go and have a beer with. Like this (laughs) looks like a fun dude. Um, But as a, 28 slash 29 year old last year got a lot of run in the second half after the Cubs had their fire sale, got rid of, you know, their two corner guys, Rizzo and Bryant, which opened up time for both Schwindel and Patrick wisdom uh, to get some time. And one of them, well, wisdom hit for a lot of power, but had like a 9,000% K rate. Schwindel though, on the other hand was one of the top hitters in baseball in the second half of the year. And 259 plate appearances, slash 326, 371, 591, 20 doubles, 14 home runs, 43 RBI, and 44 runs scored uh, in those 259 plate appearances. Like I said, it was like in, in the National League, it was obviously you got Soto and Harper that went berserk in the second half. And then you could make a case that Schwindel was like a top five hitter in the National League in the second half with what he did for the Cubs, which begs the question now, are we buying into that? Obviously, I don't think we're any any of us are buying into Schwindel as a three twenty six hitter, but you look at what he did in the minor leagues. I I don't think there this was one hundred percent a fluke. Is he going to be top ten at, at the position? Probably not. But can he be a solid corner infielder for your dynasty team? I think he definitely can. Like, I think there's a chance that he could continue to hit for a pretty good average, maybe two seventy, two eighty, twenty to twenty five home runs, maybe a little bit more. You know, in that mid twenty range, he's going to get a lot of run here at least this year and. Who knows if he's in their long-term plans, but if he continues to hit, I think he could be in their long-term plans as their starting first baseman moving forward. So I'm like mostly buying into uh, Schwindel. What are your thoughts, Chris? Yeah, you, you talk about a guy that Steamer really loves. I mean, Steamer projects him to hit 270 with 27 home runs, 81 runs, 75 RBI. Like that's yeah. highly productive at a, at a corner infield spot. So, you know, maybe I'm too low on him. I have him like 33rd right now, but – Maybe I need to bump him up. I mean, just looking at it, like, would I rather have Schwindel or Brandon Belt in Dynasty? I, mean, I would, if Belt could stay healthy, but yeah, yeah I'll, I'll take Schwindel. I have Schwindel 23rd at the position. Yeah, there's a big age gap between but, between Belt and Schwindel. I can make a strong case that I can move him up as high as 16, where, where I have Trey Mancini, because Mancini's like a 270, 25 type. And I think yeah. Schwindel could be that. So, I yeah. gotta make a case for putting him up in, up in the mid teens, and and they're similar age, honestly. So that yeah. that obviously matters too. I mean, Rizzo, like, is he gonna be better than Anthony Rizzo? Probably so. Like, I, I really think he's gonna be better than Rizzo next year. Uh, just going down the list, I mean, like Nate Lowe, yeah, could be similar. CJ Cron, I don't know. I like Cron for next year in Colorado, but man, just going looking at these names, like, I really need to bump Swindell up a lot because. I think that he is legit. And you even look, I mean, he performed in AAA last year. He was really yeah. good. He's performed in the past and he's just like a journeyman. He's bounced around everywhere. Was with the Royals for five years, actually. Then with Detroit, back to Kansas City, 
then Chicago or Oakland, then Chicago. So yeah, he's been pretty much everywhere. So I I don't know. I I'm a little low, I think. So I'm gonna bump him up right now. Let's see. We we we're, we got a live ranking, a live update ranking here. update. Yep. Hey, if you, if you're a member of the 70 grade tier of our Patreon, you you can get this all the time because it I update it pretty much every day. So as we're doing this on air, you can you can see it on the spreadsheet. Oh, I don't know where to bump them though. I'm gonna bump them to 24th right now and say that I could even go a little higher on them. So I'm gonna go 24th, just ahead of Miguel Vargas and just behind Ty France. That is certainly fair. Um, yeah, I have said I have Frank Schwindel 23rd, so I'm definitely a believer. I said I, I might bump him up even more. I, by the time I post my update, uh, top 500 update on Fantrax HQ uh, next Monday, so the was that the third of January. He could very well be inside my top 20 at this position. So I like Frank Schwindel a lot. I think he's going to be a really solid player this year and long-term moving at least next few years. I think he'll be pretty good. Uh, Moving on here before we get into the prospect section after the break, uh, let's go the rest of our top 40 here, and then we'll each give you a MLB player at this position that we think could break out in 2021. All right, so Chris, let's just do it all at once. So give us your 26 through 40 and that breakout. All right, so now 26 is CJ Cron, who I did have at 25 before, <laughs> Bobby Dalbeck, uh, Eduardo Escobar, Jesus Aguilar, Escobar Aguilar. That was a tongue twister. I don't know why. Luke Voigt, <laughs> Joey Votto, Brandon Belt, Dustin Harris, Miguel Sano, Dominic Smith, who, gosh, I don't even know if he deserves to be there, Curtis Mead, Tyler Stevenson, Mike Moustakas, don't know if he deserves to be there. Rowdy Telez and Pavin Smith round now 40. And who's that breakout for you, Chris? I'm going with Ty France, who I think just has all the signs of being a huge breakout. I think he's going to be the everyday first baseman in Seattle. He showed us a little bit last year. I mean, did hit 18 home runs, hit 291. All the potential's there, and I think the power's even even more so there than, than we realize. I think that he's going to be like a 25-plus home run bat. I think the hit tool is really solid. I mean, he's done nothing but hit throughout the major. I mean, he's a career 281 hitter, so all the signs are there of him being every bit legit, and I think he's still being undervalued. But I think we're really going to see the power break out this year, which is going to really vault him up rankings. Yeah, that's, good. that's a good pick. I like Ty France a good amount, too. I think Seattle's going to be really intriguing. There's a lot of intriguing bats on Seattle, so... I think they definitely could surprise again as a potential playoff team. We'll see how the pitching goes. For me here, let my correct spreadsheet back up. 26, I have Ty France. 27, Nate Lowe. 28, Nick Prado. 29, Brendan Belt, who could be, honestly, could be in that Walsh-Mancini level if he could actually stay healthy. Though he is getting older now. It's maybe a little bit lower than that. Uh, Belt's at 29 for it now. Miguel Vargas, 30. Miguel Sano, 31. Dustin Harris, 32. Uh, rest of the top 40, John Kenzie Noel, Luke Voigt, Yuli Gurriel, who I know he's still pretty good right now, but he's older, so I'd still keep him in there. Rowdy Telez, 36, Vinny Pasquantino, 37, Juan Yepes, 38, Dominic Smith, 39, and Joey Votto at 40. A couple guys I probably could have bumped ahead of Votto uh, right after him are Blaze Jordan and Jesus Aguilar. Uh, probably should have bumped Aguilar up, but you know I like Votto. I'll keep him at forty for now. And my breakout is Rowdy Telez. You know, yeah, uh, they Russell Resource currently has him in a platoon uh, for twenty twenty two. 
but with Mike Brousseau, I don't see Brousseau. Like, Brousseau is not a starter. He's a solid bench bat that can move around, play multiple spots on the infield, even some outfield. So I think they'll use him in that role. So I think Telez will be at least get 500-plus plate appearances in this year for sure. And even though the surface stats, you know, 242, 305, 414, 11 home runs and 30, uh, 325 plate appearances don't really, you know, wow you at all. But you look at the his under the hood metrics here and each of the last every year of his career. I know it's been kind of fluctuant playing time, but the bail rate has been above 11 and a half percent in three of those years. Average exit velo above 90 and a half miles an hour each of the last three years. Max exit velo above 114 each of the last three years. Hard hit rate above 40 percent every year. Doesn't walk a ton, but slightly below average walk rate, but doesn't strike out that much either. Last two years, 15.7% and 20%. Hard hit rate last two years, 45.3, 48.1. X slug, 490, 468. I think there's a good chance that Telez could be, I don't think that would be top 10, maybe not even top 15 at this position, but I think he could be a top 20 guy that does, you know, 270, 25 home runs or so. Uh, he's for right now because a lot of Milwaukee's kind of top prospects are a little bit away. He's going to have a chance to bat somewhere in the middle of the order. They have him batting cleanup now. I don't think he'll bat cleanup exclusively, but he's at least going to be in the top two-thirds of that order. So good amount of RBI potential there with Telez as well. Could be like 80 to 90 RBI guy. That's a really solid four-category guy. Obviously, he won't break any speed. He's a big dude, 6'4", 255. Uh, they like them big dudes up there in Milwaukee, like Vogelbach and Rowdy Telez and all of them. Uh, so I th- but I think he could be a really solid four-category guy for sure. Uh, so I'm buying all the shares of Telez like Kings. I think this could be the year that he really takes off in rankings. Let's go ahead and take a quick break here. We'll come back on the other side and get into our prospect rankings. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back with more Fantrax Toolshed right after this. MEAC fans, it's time to step into a championship. The 2023 MEAC Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament tips off March 8th through the 11th at the Scope Arena in Norfolk, Virginia. Join all the Me action with competitive basketball games, fun theme nights, and fan fests, official after parties, and comedy shows. Tickets are on sale via Ticketmaster, and you can log on to MEACHoops.com for more info. The 2023 MEAC Basketball Tournament. Who will be crowned champion? All right, welcome back from the break. Let's get into the prospect side of this position now. We'll start with our personal top 10 prospect rankings at the first base position. Uh, I'll start here, uh, 10 to 1. At 10, I have Blaze Jordan. One, yeah, 9, Juan Yapez. 8, see, Juan Yapez is a name that just tongue twists <laughs> me and finger twists me. I, I, right. I was telling Chris, I, every time I type Juan Yapez, I'd say 80 plus percent of the time I type Juan Y U A N because of the Y in Gapez. So his name just gives me all sorts of fits, both in terms of typing and speaking. So yeah, Blaze Jordan 10, Juan Gapez 9, Vinny Pasquantino 8, Curtis Mead 7, Dustin Harris 6, Nick Prado 5, Young Kenzie Noel 4, Miguel Vargas 3, Tristan Cass is 2, and Spencer Torkelson 1. And if we were including Tyler Sodestrom, I'd have him. I have him one spot ahead of Cassis on my overall, which I think. Sodostrom could end up at first base long-term, so uh, always factor that in. Uh, but Chris, who are your top 10 here? All right, number 10 is Jonathan Aranda, 9, Juan Yapez, 
Eight, Blaze Jordan. Seven, Curtis Mead. Six, Dustin Harris. Five, Miguel Vargas. Four, Nick Prado. Three, John Kenzie Noel. Two, Tristan Casas. And one, Spencer Torkelson. And if we include uh, Soderstrom, he would be third behind, right behind Casas. Not far behind, but I do, do prefer Casas there. Yeah, I might. It's, it's called, I go back and forth who I like more, Soderstrom or Casas. I will say, though, I don't like Oakland's farm system. I don't like how they develop prospects both on both sides of the ball. They, they used to be very good. Like they, they developed Mark Mulder and Barry Zito and all them. But lately it's like the, the pitching prospects have not panned out. All their hitting prospects have incredibly high K rates. Like Lazaro Armenteros, uh, Austin Beck. It's just, it hasn't panned out lately for them. So not a big fan of the fact that he's in Oakland. I would love him a lot more if he was in really most 25 other orgs um, that I like a lot more. So um, I'm worried about that, but do love me some Tyler Soderstrom. That's for sure. Uh, let's start at the top with Spencer Torkelson here. You know, we, we both have him well inside our top 100 overall. Uh, I think we both, where did you have him at this position? You had him fifth? Yes. Uh, fifth. Okay. So we, we, we both have him fifth. So he's already there, but can he get to that next level? We, we kind of talked about him in our Detroit Patreon episode last week, but do we think that Torque can get up into that top three, be like a super elite option? Or Chris, are you feeling more like this is kind of where he's going to be, like right around Pete Alonso, that in that kind of same like 270, 260, 270 bat, 30 plus home runs. So he kind of sticks around top 50 overall. Or do you think there's that next level for Torque? Yeah, I don't, I think that he probably hangs out around this spot. It's going to be, Hard for him to surpass. I mean, we know Vladdy's way up there. I don't really see him surpassing Olsen and Freeman anytime soon, and I, I much prefer Alonzo. I think Alonzo is highly underrated, honestly. I, I'd give the edge hit tool-wise to Torque. I do think that Torque will hit for a better average than Pete Alonzo does, but the power is easily Alonzo. Like, I think Alonzo will probably hit 10-plus more home runs. And, you know, we, we watched Torkelson – multiple times out in the AFL. I love Torkelson. There's, I have him borderline top 50 for Dynasty, but he's not I, – I, I, my opinion of him is not as high as it once was, I guess I'll say. He's a little smaller in person than, than you think, which is not a bad thing. I still think he's going to hit for power. He didn't hit for much power when we saw him, actually. I mean, he was going the other way a lot, and I think he was working on that. I think he was intentionally trying to work on going to the opposite field, but he had a lot of singles. Yeah, he did get on base a lot. I mean, that was encouraging to see as well. But right now, I don't think he currently profiles as that type that's going to make the huge leap. But also, he's got the park factor going against him of Detroit being a pretty hard place to hit home runs. And yeah, Torque's got the power, but he's going to be suppressed a little bit by that that ballpark. And we saw it with Nick Castellanos where you know he left and the home runs really took off. Like He was a huge double hitter in Detroit. I think Torque's going to hit plenty of doubles, but does that suppress his home runs a little bit and like knock him down from like a, a 30 to 32 home run to like a 25, 27 home run? I think that that's a possibility when you play half your games there. It's definitely a fair question. In fact, there's not a lot of great hitters parks. I think a lot of the, the AL Central is kind of neutral. I think Kansas City is neutral. I think Minnesota's Kansas uh, City is a terrible place to hit. Actually. Yeah, maybe, maybe neutral is. Yeah, maybe neutral is being a little, little yeah. uh, high on that, but yeah, Cleveland is yeah. There's not, there's not a lot of great hitters parks in that division. So the fact that he'll get 
you know, when you factor in all those parks, you'll get what between two thirds and three quarters of his games yeah. in neutral to worse hitters parks. Yeah, that definitely factors in. And like, yeah, you, you, that's a great point with Cassianos because who would you say has more raw power, Cassianos or Torque? They're probably pretty close. Yeah, yeah, it's probably comparable, honestly. I mean, I think everyone listening to this is probably going to quick to assume his Torkelson, but I really think Cassianos has really good power than this underrated. So I think it's close. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's definitely a factor. It's definitely yeah. going to be a factor. So um, I, I I kind of agree. I maybe am a little more optimistic on the power. I think he could still be a 30 home run guy, but I think Torque could be like a 35 home run guy at, you know, if he was in like a top 10 hitters park. But sure. yeah, I think it definitely does hurt him a little bit and does keep him out. And plus, we'll have to see how the lineup looks around him. Obviously, he's Riley Green coming up with him. They just added Javi Baez. Uh, they just added uh, Tucker. Well, not, well Tucker Barnes isn't really a great gift, but it, <laughs> the lineup is better. Scope's still there, so uh, it it could be a pretty decent lineup the next couple of years, especially when you, once you add Torque and Green into it. But yeah, it's uh, definitely got to wonder if he can get up to that next level. And I don't think he can. I think maybe he can get up to where like Matt Olson is, maybe. But do we think he's ever? And yeah, he'll probably pass Freeman at some point because of the age thing. But, right. But do we think he can ever get up to to the level? where Freeman is now, which is a top 20 guy. And I don't see that happening yeah. with no, with no speed. You got to be to be top 20 in dynasty with no speed. You got to be 280 plus 35 plus, And I don't think we see both of those. Maybe one of those things happens with torque, but I don't think both of them um, yeah. moving down here a little bit. Uh, let's talk. There's a lot of interesting guys that are kind of like in this second tier of, of, first base prospects it's a big kind of glob of really a talent talented some guys that are in triple a like nick like nick prado then we get guys like john Kenzie noel miguel vargas so it's a ver- very interesting tier of players we'll start with nick prado a guy that had you know pretty solid 2018 2019 uh i mean to 2017 2018 and then dropped off a cliff in 2019 like basically every top kansas city hitting prospect did that year uh, 2019. Now this is after a 280, 14 homer, 22 steal year in 2018. He dropped down to an atrocious 191, 278, 310 line in 2019 at High A Wilmington in the Carolina League. Then uh, still had 17 steals, but nine home runs in 124 games. The K rate uh, was still super high back then, well over 30 percent. But 2021, bounced back in a big way. 265, 385, 602 slash line. Had a 337 ISO, 28 doubles, 36 home runs, 98 RBI, 12 steals, and 545 plate appearances. So at this point, Chris, let's say you have Nick Prado. Are you buying what he did and kind of holding on to him? Or are you using this opportunity to sell high? Um, I'm actually selling it. I'm moving him down my rankings as we speak. I pulled up his contact rates and they're really bad. And yeah, yeah. I mean, he had, all right. So in, in double a last year, he had a 63% contact rate, which is horrific. It didn't get much better in triple a. And that was a super friendly hitter environment as well, which is worth noting, but he, he had a 65.6% contact rate in triple a. So, you know, the power is going to play up because Omaha is a super hitter friendly park and that whole league is super hitter friendly. So the power was very inflated in my opinion, and I think I'm a little high. So Prado is actually going to bump down a hair. I have him a little too high, in my opinion, currently at 37 overall. 
I'm bumping him outside the top 50 for prospects, actually, because though that is highly concerning. And triple A pitching was not good at all. So I think he could get exploited at the big league level a little bit. And it's also worth noting, like, where does he play? Because they have a, a log jam across the infield. So you already have Sal Perez. You've got MJ Melendez, who they've already said is going to play regularly somewhere. Like they expect Melendez to be in the lineup somewhere next year. Then you have Vinny Pasquantino, who broke out and is a little older than Prado. You have Nick Prado. You currently have the logjam already in the infield of the current MLB guys. So, like, all these guys don't really fit, which also, I think, is a factor. Like, what do they do with them? And that's right. really the tough thing. You have to look at that and evaluate that, too, because, I mean, yeah, I mean, Whit Merrifield's probably locked in at second base, but at shortstop, who are you going to play? I mean, you've got Nicky Lopez, you have Adalberto Mondesi, you have uh, Bobby Witt Jr. I'm, I'm assuming Witt plays third base, but... They still have enough guys, and right now they have Hunter Dozier penciled in at first base. I have no <laughs> clue. <Dozier. laughs> yeah, I, I really have no clue what to expect. But I mean, they've come out and said they they plan for Melendez to be in the lineup next year. So with that, like, where do where does Pasquantino and Prado fit in? Where do these other regular guys fit in? So between that and the contact concerns, like those contact numbers are highly concerning to me. Actually, for a triple a league that wasn't great on pitching the the power numbers were inflated for a reason it's because he played in a super power friendly league and triple a pitching wasn't good so yeah from that standpoint i think he's worth a sell personally yeah i'm i'm not disagreeing with uh really any of that and uh, i'm sure our, our good pal chris welsh is shaking his fist at you right now <laughs> probably as, he's probably like oh, i'm never coming on tool shit again <laughs> uh, no we love you welsh of course uh, but yeah, there definitely are a lot of concerns with Nick Prado. I think he could still be a, a 20 plus, maybe around 25 homer guy adds in, you know, maybe five to eight steals annually. But yeah, the, the, the hit tool is still a concern for me. It's even, even this year um, when he was, you know, his breakout year, he still had a really high K rate and for his career, it's over 30% still. He has 529 strikeouts in his minor league career over in 427 games. That's if he's already striking out at a high clip now. Like good, like you mentioned, he's gonna get exploited by good pitching. So maybe he's only a 240 hitter. Maybe I don't know. Maybe 230, 240. Yeah. I, I don't. I think his ceiling for average is probably 260, and that might even be a tad generous. Uh, I think 240 is a good middle ground there for Prado. But I said you know he still 25 home runs, five to eight steals slightly more valuable in OBP formats because of that higher walk rate, uh, which was uh, well over, well over 10% last year, 83 walks in 124 games. So maybe be a little more valuable in OBP formats, but yeah, it's, it's concerning that the K rate has really not gotten better. He started walking a bit more uh, 2021 than he did previously, but yeah, the fact that the K he said over 150 strikeouts each of the last three years, while playing 127, 124, and 124 games respectively. So that is a concern to me. So, yeah, I am in agreement that I'd probably sell high on him if you can, uh, especially if you're in a league with Chris Welsh. Chris Welsh is <laughs> buying from you. Yeah. Uh, he's the biggest He's the biggest Nick Prado guy out there. Yeah. For what it's worth, I bumped him in between Dustin Harris and Curtis Mead. I think that's a pretty fair spot. Yeah, that, that's definitely fair. There's a lot of prospects in that range, um, and we'll get into a, a couple more of the, those guys now. With someone that I think I felt it was when we throw a little debate in here. We've had some dynasty debates 
uh, in previous episodes, which were a lot of fun. So I think we'll throw a quick one in here. Um, obviously, we don't have to go super in-depth, but someone that you have higher, John Kenzie Noel, someone that I have higher, Miguel Vargas. So I guess, Chris, make your case for Noel over Vargas in Dynasty rankings. Yeah, and so Vargas gets the edge from the standpoint of proximity. I think that obviously we see him sooner than later. We could definitely see him next year, but that's not the case with Noel, though I do think that Noel is the better hitter and the better power hitter as well. We did see the power come out for Miguel Vargas this year. I think that was the biggest thing that really vaulted him up. Like Vargas has always been a good hitter. Then the power really came to life this year. I think people still really underrate Noel's hit tool and his ability to make solid contact. I mean, we saw it. We hit, he hit 393 in low A, which, you know, whatever. It was 162 plate appearances. Even the 280 at high, it was still really good. His contact numbers were good across the board. Things you like to see. He's a massive dude that's going to hit for more power than Vargas, in my opinion. I think the averages could be pretty comparable. And also, you have to factor in the standpoint of the the Dodgers. Like the Dodgers are constantly going to buy people, and like, where does he actually fit in? So that's my biggest question there as well. Uh, I mentioned Noel had an eighty two percent contact rate in low A, which is really really good. Uh, that obviously dropped down a little bit in high as we saw with the average, but still 70%. So solid numbers there. So I'm actually pretty on board with this. And I think the Noel's a really solid hitter, good power. He, you, you see him and he really resembles like Eloy in a way, like the way he stands, the way he swings. Like, so there's a lot to like in the profile here. I still think that he's, being highly undervalued. I think you can still get them pretty cheap. But at the end of the day, I have both these very close. Like in my overall, they're they're only a couple spots apart. So I do like both these guys a lot. But I am a fan of Noel. Some of it goes back to the fact that on this episode a year ago, I called uh, Noel a breakout, and that's what happened. So like I've kind of been all over that one. <laughs> so I, I, I love Noel from that standpoint. But I do also think that he's just a really solid player that still we still haven't seen his best. But also like Vargas a lot as well. So both very close. Yeah, both are very close for me as well. And I love John Kenzie Noel as well as well. Not maybe not quite as much as you, but he's still with uh right around 50 overall for me. The reason why I'm a little higher on Vargas, and, and you kind of hit some of these points too, but Vargas is just a hitter. Like every year of his career uh, in, in professional baseball, 2018 in 53 games, hit 330. 2019, 124 games hit 308. And yeah, that was before the power came out. You only had nine combined home runs in 177 games before 2020. But it, you kind of started seeing the the kind of the hints there, like the, the little in the tea leaves that the power was coming. So he had 38 doubles in 124 games of 2019. So started hinting at it, you know, and the slugging was still pretty good each of those years. ISO went up a little bit in the second year, but that kind of finally took off in his third year in 2021, 27 doubles, 23 home runs, 120 games between high A and double A. And the power was really good. The power was even better in double A. It's 16 home runs in 83 games there with 16 doubles as well. I think I'd st- obviously would still give the power edge to Noel. Uh, I think Noel is a 30 homer bat. Miguel Vargas probably more like 25. So uh, definitely give the edge to Noel there. But I think that Vargas is going to hit for a higher average. I think this is a plus hit tool guy. Solid enough walk rate, a little under, uh, right around 9% for his career. 
Uh, last year was about right around 8%. So I think there will definitely be a little bit of an edge there. I think Noel is more like a 270 guy. I think Barker's going to be like 280, 290, honestly. And I do uh, – you made a great point about how it's Dodgers and they always buy players. But I actually think that this kind of like – Vargas's timeline and Turner, Justin Turner's timeline actually kind of coincide very well where this could work out perfectly. This could be the perfect storm of, you know, prospect coming up when the kind of incumbent kind of goes out the door or retires or whatever Turner decides to do. But I think it could be a case where Turner does one more year with the Dodgers and then boom, it's Miguel Vargas at third base. And this is definitely a possibility. And maybe, you know, if Muncie is as long-term issue here and, they keep Bellinger and outfield. First base could be an opportunity as well uh, for Vargas. So uh, so I think if you look at hit and power, it almost evens out for me. Then the fact that Vargas can also add a little bit of speed, maybe be a five to eight steel guy at the major league level. He has uh, will be in a better lineup uh, with the Dodgers than Noel will be with Cleveland. So that's what gives me the edge. But I think we're both in agreement that we both like both these guys quite a bit, and it's very close overall. But those are our cases for Noel and for Miguel Vargas, two guys that are everyone should be targeting in your dynasty leagues for sure. Uh, two more guys a little further down in our top tens here. Actually, you don't have Pasquatino in our top ten, but um, they're both these guys are kind of right around back end top ten guys, uh, the top one hundred overall guys. Are we believing in the breakouts from Vinny Pasquatino and Juan Yepes? You know, the short answer for me. Yes, I'm believing in both these guys. Yeah, Pasquantino, as I, as I mentioned in my my article, like he did everything you could want from a you know a top first base prospect. Like he hit for a high average. He had a high walk rate. He actually had as many walks as strikeouts last year. Was 64. He hit for power. Maybe he's not a huge power guy, but I think he could be a 20 to 25 homer guy with a high average and a high OBP as well. So. I'm buying it on him, and you and I both saw Juan Yepes out in the uh, Arizona Fall League, and yeah, he's a dude. Like this guy's a hit for a solid average, good pop. Again, I don't think he stands out in either department, but 286, 386, five. Did he really hit 286, 386, 586? Wow, <laughs> uh, a lot of 86s there. Um, with uh, 29 doubles, 27 home runs, high walk rate, decent K rate. Like I'm buying in both these guys. Like these guys are dudes, and I think they could fly even higher in 2021. But what are, what are your thoughts on these two, Chris? Yeah, I'm actually a little low on Pasquantino. I think I'm gonna bump him up ahead of Yepes actually, because I think the contact skills are a lot better. Was just Agreed. looking at some numbers, and uh, and another thing, people talk like I've read that there's people in the organization that prefer Pasquantino to Nick Prado. I heard I that too. Yeah, there's reasonable. Like there's a reason for that. I mean, the dude performed and he didn't have his numbers elevated by a inflated triple A hitting friendly environment like Prado did. I mean, this dude dominated high A and double A. He had an 87% contact rate in double A, which is really, really good. I'm buying in there. I actually think I, I while I like Yepes, I think it's a good time to sell him personally because I think there's a ton of hype around him. And I think here's why I think his value is at peak because he doesn't have a spot. I think that he probably is on the big league roster this year, but I think because he doesn't get the adequate playing time that his dynasty value is going to tank and people are starting to talk about him. I think the breakouts hundred percent real 
Like I, what we saw is really, really good. And we saw him like he has the ability to hit all fields. He has massive power. He has good contact skills. We saw that live and I'm a big fan of that, but I just think because of his context, unless he gets traded, I think he's a sell because if you have him right now, there's a lot of hype around him. You can cash out and get something good. But if this time next year he spent a year on the major league roster and been on the bench, then his value is going to be minimal, and he's not going to be playing right now over Goldie or Nolan Arenado. Maybe a DH helps him, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I I don't know. Like, there's there's no room in that lineup because Gorman's going to come in too, most likely. You still have all those mouths to feed in the outfield. Tommy Edmonds still needs a spot. They're likely to sign a shortstop. There's no spot for him, in my opinion. So that's why I think he's a prime sell candidate because I think that his value is going to only go down. So I think you can get a lot for him. There's a, There's been a lot of hype around him. So I would sell him from that standpoint. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that. I definitely believe yet Lopez is for real, but he definitely needs the DH to come in because without the DH, it's kind of like Seth Beer. Like Without the DH, I don't know where beer already has fit into their long-term uh, their team's long-term plans here with all the you know mouths they have to feed already especially in st louis like and you're not going to yeah. upset any of that outfield because you know they like was it five gold gloves in that lineup so yeah. uh just the, in that aspect like those guys are going to stay in the lineup because of their defense right the the outfield's not changing with o'neill carlson and bader you have That's edmund so if gorman comes in where does edmund play does edmund bump to shortstop like if, if Gorman's at second I mean, Goldie and, and Arenado aren't going anywhere, and they're locked up for the foreseeable future. So there's nowhere to go, like a, unless there's a DH. But I think he's he's just on the bench, honestly. And there's so many yeah. mouths to like. Who there's so many other guys that could fill a role in the DH too. And you know, some of these names you may laugh at, like Paul DeYoung or Brendan Donovan or Lars Newbar. But there's all there's a chance <laughs> that all these guys could get time at the DH role, in my opinion. So Lars Newbar, yeah. Love there's just, there's more. no room. That's just the thing. And I think yeah. that, that for that reason, I think he's a sell because I think his value is going to go down over the next year and you're not going to be able to get as much for him. All right, let's move into the next segment of our rankings. Let's go 11 through 25 for our first base prospect rankings. For me, 11, Seth Beer. 12 through 15, Michael Talia, Anthony Garcia, who I love. The dude's a beast. Get Anthony Garcia right now. Jonathan Aranda and Alex Benellis at 15, 16 through 20, Aaron Sabato, Daniel Montesino, Bryce Ball, Mason Martin, and Elahiris Montero, and 21 through 25, Shirton Apostle, Blaine Krim, Junior Caminero, uh, Kyle Manzardo, and Jordan Viers. And just because I like Nico Cavadas and he's next, Nico Cavadas is 26. Uh, Chris, who's your 11 through 25? Yep. So it's changed a little bit now that I moved Pasquantino up, but. He was 11th, then followed by Aaron Sabato, Michael Tolia, Anthony Garcia, Seth Beer, Alec Burleson, Blaine Krim, Kalei Rosario, Kyle Manzardo, Mason Martin at 20, and then the final five being Bryce Ball, Alex Benellis, Junior Caminero, Spencer Horwitz, and Tyreek Reed rounding out the 25th spot. So it does fall off. Uh, there's some, yeah. still some intriguing names in here for sure. Like I mentioned, uh, Garcia, I think we both like Jonathan Aranda. You had him top 10. Uh, I, I like Alex Benellis, uh, especially now he came over to the Red Sox. I think that's a good fit for him. Though I don't know where he plays long-term, but he's an intriguing bat. He had a really, really good debut after the draft this year. 
some of the young uh, guys that are a little further down, like Dwayne Crims, intriguing, Junior Camarero, Kyle Manzardo, Jordan Byers. So, yes, definitely some intriguing guys for deeper dynasty leagues for sure. But it's not a lot as much star power uh, in this part of the rankings as we had for catcher. Um, but let's go into a couple of our talking points here. Uh, first off, I guess I have him at 10 overall. Where did you have Blaze Jordan, Chris? He's in the top 10. He was number eight. Okay, so we, we both have – maybe we should talk about him in the last segment, but you know, we'll talk about him now. Do you think Blaze Jordan can vault it up into, let's say, the top 50 prospects in 2022? Uh, that's – it's so tough to say for sure. I, I don't know. I mean, we saw him, like, blasting off really quick, and then he kind of slowed down a little bit. And I think contact's always been the biggest concern – but his contact numbers were actually really good. And yeah, it was a small sample, but rookie ball had a, a 81% contact rate. And even when he dropped down, we saw him only hit 250 in Lowy, but he still had a 78% contact rate, which was good. Small sample, I know, but I, I, maybe. I mean, we know the power's there. We know the potential's there. Like he's this wonder kid that hit like a 500 foot home run when he was 13. As the old folktale says, <laughs> yeah, I don't believe that. <laughs> no, that's that's ridiculous. I'm just thinking about being in a little league and hitting one like the fence is 200 feet. That means you hit it 300 feet past the fence. Like <laughs> that's just nuts, man. I I could maybe buy into 400. Yeah, but 500, 500. Yeah, <laughs> I remember my little league. Uh, there was two little league fields uh, in my my hometown, and one of them was near. If anyone knows LL Bean. Uh, which is, you know, they make outdoor gear and boots and stuff like that. They had their office building kind of like behind left, left center field. So you would have to like put it halfway into the building to hit 500 feet there. Yeah, that's just when you think about it, like you mentioned, 200 foot fences. Yeah, there's no way you're hitting it. That'd be two whole two and a half whole fields. Like, <laughs> right. that's ridiculous. I don't, yeah. I don't buy that. That's a, a football field and a half. Like, that's a long way. I don't know. But with that being said, I think that what we saw from him was was really, really good. And it was better than what we expected. I'm, I'm hoping that we'll get, I'll get some serious looks at him in Greenville next year. And I think that Greenville team could be a lot of fun with some serious talent. After this year, it sucked. So I'm hoping to get some good players. <laughs> I hope York will be there for a little bit, get some Blaze, maybe get some Marcella Meyer. That would be awesome. Yeah, should be intriguing at the lower levels for Boston, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, certainly getting better. Blaze is probably coming into a really big year for him over a, a full season. We'll see. We'll see what he's made of definitely this year. But if the hit tool is even average, in my opinion, then he's going to be really good. And I think he can really fall to up. So it's not out of the realm of possibility when you see those contact numbers think that he could be above average hitter if that sustains. But we know the power is easily plus. There's no question about that. So. Yes, I, I would say there is a chance that he could vault up, but a lot is going to hinge on the contact. Agreed. I'd say a 20% chance he gets there. I don't know. I, I don't think the contact will be there enough for him to kind of get up into the range where like John Kenzie Noel and Miguel Vargas and all these guys are now. I just don't see him making enough contact to be that type of guy. But yeah, and more I think about it too. So we're saying that he has the same type of power as like, Sammy Sosa and the home run derbies back in the early 2000s and like Stanton and Gallo and judge now, like, come on when you're 13. <laughs> no. Okay. I a hundred percent don't believe that now. Um, but sorry to go back on that topic, but 
Uh, yeah, I, I don't. I just don't see it. If I had to bet money, I would bet on no. But definitely think there's a possibility. Like I said about twenty percent chance I'd put at him being top fifty next year. Uh, moving a little bit further down here, a couple bigger names uh, from twenty twenty one pre twenty twenty one that had kind of down years. Michael Talia, Aaron Sabato. I think I know the answer to this already, Chris, based off your rankings. Um, but are you still in on these two? And I guess which one are you more in on after their down performances this past year? Um, a little bit more Talia. Maybe it's because we we saw him in the AFL. He has a really smooth swing, and I think that he's capable of making a decent contact. And and when he hits the when when he gets on the ball, I mean he mashes like yeah, he had a, he had a couple of tanks when we were out power, there. Power, yeah, the, like forty degree launch angle tanks at that. Like those things went high and far. So he's got plenty of raw power. The the contact, I guess, is the biggest question mark with him. Um, Sabato, I actually do think we'll see rebound. He finished the season pretty strong. Uh, and so I think he's one that could really take a step forward. And he was so good in college. Like his numbers from college were just unreal. So I'm kind of, you know, putting this behind him. I'm giving him a pass on this year, even though it was really bad overall. But I think that we'll see Sabato take a step forward next year. So I'm uh I'm gonna stick with saying that both these guys could take a step forward, but I believe Sabato taking a bigger step. I'll probably lean a little more towards Talia. I, I agree. I both think that they will bounce back. You know, Sabato had a terrible year, 202 average overall, but did hit 253 in high A in just 22 games, but really struggled in low A Fort Myers. And yeah, I've always been a Sabato guy just because he went to North Carolina. I'm a North Carolina <laughs> Tar Heel fan through it. Through and through, especially basketball and baseball. I don't watch college football, but uh, for basketball and baseball, I'm a North Carolina Tar Heel fan. Uh, so definitely been a guy that I've you know liked for several, even back during his days at North Carolina. He was a, a nice, nice bat with the, in that lineup. Especially his two years there, he did very well. Uh, even though 2020 was shortened, uh, but he still had seven seven home runs in 19 games that year. I just wonder if the context goes are there long term. I have that same concern with Talia, but not to the same degree. I think power-wise, they're pretty similar overall. I think Sabato will have you know a bigger impact in OBP leagues than he does in average leagues. But I just wonder if he's ever more than like a 230 to 240 hitter at the major league level uh, with like 25 home runs or so. I think Talia hit a little bit higher uh, average. And he still, even though he only hit 228 last year, still had a walk rate well above 10%, kept his OBP reasonable at, at 333, had 22 home runs and 10 steals. I don't. I wouldn't, you know, factor in those ten steals at all. Seven of those came in high A, but uh, maybe he can add a little bit of speed, at least a handful a year, uh, more than Sabato. Sabato's not going to run at all. He's he's a big dude, six like six. What's he listed at six uh, six two two thirty? Uh, first base DH only profile doesn't run at all. He's attempted the two steals in the last three years combined. So don't expect any of that. So I think Talia has a little bit of an advantage there. So I will go Talia over Sabato, but I do agree that both are solid kind of buys right now in dynasty after their subpar 2021 seasons for sure uh let's end our our show here chris with a breakout prospect each a guy that's currently outside of our top 250 that we think could bump up into the top 100 in the very near future chris who is that guy for you uh, i'm going with clay rosario and yeah i looked up that pronunciation to make sure it was right because that's that's the name that we were, we were talking about before trying to figure it out. So we looked it up. It's Calais Rosario. 
he's just got some some massive power. I don't think we've even seen the best of him yet. He was a, a fifth round pick in the 2020 draft to the Twins out of Hawaii. Uh, we saw him in rookie ball. Obviously, not a, a not a huge sample last year. Just 208 plate appearances, but he hit 277, hit five home runs. He stole four bases, which I don't really see being a part of his game moving forward. But the power's every bit legit. I think he's a good OBP factor. And he's going to hit for solid average. So I think he's a, a really good field to hit plus power. I could really see him taking the next step. So Kalei Rosario will be my pick here for the breakout. We'll see if I can hit on it like I did with John Kenzie Noel last year. We'll see if the first base sticks and Kalei Rosario breaks out next year. There you go. Got to go back to back there with those picks. I like Kalei Rosario a good amount as well. Uh, my pick is a guy that I currently have ranked 271 overall and a guy that actually was surprised played as much first base as he did. I thought he was played mostly outfield, but he actually played more first base than outfield 32 games in at first and 22 in the outfield. And that is Daniel Montesino of the San Diego Padres, one of their bigger free agent signings last year and really solid debut uh, down in the Dominican summer league in 56 games slash three sixteen four forty four four eighty nine forty-three 43 walks to 53 strikeouts. Added in 21 extra base hits, four home runs, and eight steals. He's a, he's a guy that I think is going to be really good in both the hit tool and power department. He's already flashed plus raw power, has some projection left on his frame. Still only 17 years old, too. He won't be 18 until the middle of February. I think he can add a bit more bulk, maybe be a you know 20 to 25 homer guy down the road with a solid hit tool. Not a, not a speedster, but solid enough speed where I think he could be an average runner long term. So maybe we're looking at 55 hit, 55 power, 50 speed type of guy. Um, and he's already shown a pretty solid approach as well. His ability to walk that much at such a young age is really intriguing to me. Kept the K rate in check as well. Uh, so yeah, I think well, he won't stand out in any one area. I think there's definitely a chance he's 55 hit, 50 power with a little bit of speed mixed in. Whether he stays at first base long term or moves to the outfield, that's still kind of be, to be determined. But but for now, he qualifies at first, and I will pick him as my breakout that could be top 100 by this time next year. But that is going to wrap us up. Thank you to all the listeners for tuning in again this week. We hope you enjoyed it. You can follow us on Twitter, Chris is at Roto Clegg. I am at Eric Cross04, and our show is at Fantrax Toolshed. And check out all of our written work at FantraxHQ.com or over on our Patreon. Join us again on Thursday as we get into the second base position. But until then, everyone take care. Want to create a breakthrough gene therapy or life-saving vaccine? Pioneer Aerospace Excellence? Take your hospitality tech brand international? Montgomery County, Maryland is where you can do all that and more. Use our ideal location next to D.C. Diverse world-class talent and our vast business resources to be the next company to make your mark and transform the world. Visit bnext.thinkmoco.com. That's bnext.thinkmoco.com to learn how we can help you create something remarkable.